0: Legalized freedom.
1: Listen patiently. We, who are the last men, earnestly desire to communicate with you. Astronomers have made a startling discovery, which assigns a speedy end to humankind.
0: We can help you, and we need your help.
1: Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Thomas Lombardo, who joins us to discuss cosmic evolution and the future of humanity through the lens of science fiction. Our view of the future of our species tends to be colored by very short-term concerns. Most of us are too busy with the distractions and worries of everyday life to spend much time thinking about what lies ahead when we are no longer here. As for the future of the Earth, our solar system and the wider cosmos, these are deemed the domain of scientific specialists and of little relevance to the urgent political, social, economic and environmental problems which plague the present day. However, contemplating the incomprehensible vastness of creation can help us recapture a sense of wonder and possibility and nurture a cosmic consciousness which puts our present predicament into perspective. This mental evolutionary process may ultimately make the difference between survival and extinction for life in our remote corner of the galaxy. The discussion takes as its starting point the work of English science fiction author Olaf Stapledon, specifically his novels Last and First Men and Star Maker. Hello and welcome, Tom, and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com.
0: Yes, hello, Greg. How are you today? I'm
1: very well, thank you. And uh, you're looking well, I have to say. (laughs) It's a bright,
0: sunny, warm day in Arizona.
1: Okay, so it's a dark, overcast, cold day here in England. (laughs) Now, today we're going to be talking a little bit about, essentially about human evolution, but also the, the bigger idea of evolution within The galaxy and the wider cosmos and we're going to be doing that through the lens of of science fiction Um, before we jump into our talk just for listeners who don't know give them a little bit of information about your background and your work
0: uh yes i i'm the uh, director of the center for future consciousness um i was a a college professor for uh decades uh became an active futurist have uh, written uh around 10 books Uh, which I've published. uh, Well, two are coming out very soon. A number of them in the area of science fiction, but also quite a few on the evolution of uh, future consciousness and um, uh, other areas pertaining to philosophy, education, psychology. I live in a uh, suburb of Phoenix, Arizona, and um, I've had a uh, passion and interest in science fiction since I was a kid.
1: Now, our... Kicking off point today is a novel by um, an English author called um, Olaf Stapledon. And he was active uh, mainly in the early 20th century. And it's his novel, Last and First Men, which I recently discovered. That's, you know, the book's been around for, for decades, but of all my reading of sci fi over the years, that's just not one that I ever got to. And I wanted to have this talk with you today because the thing that struck me about it more than anything I've ever read in science fiction was the vast scale of time that the book takes in and the vast scope of it. And it struck me, it really struck a chord with me because in contrast to the, the narrow outlook that so many of us have on life, the universe and everything, and we often don't look more than, you know, in what's happening the next day. Never mind what might be happening in a thousand years or a hundred thousand years or a million years from now. It almost seems like why contemplate anything like that? You know, because it's, it's, it seems irrelevant in a way to our lives, but it, and it it struck me at this time as well that for the last year that we've lived through, uh, with the pandemic, because it seemed to me that people's thinking and their outlook had become even more constricted and more narrow during this time because the, the only thing that seemed to be happening was the pandemic and any thoughts of the future, any thoughts of building for the future of optimism seemed to just be disappearing at a rapid rate. So all of that meant that for me, the book just really resonated, you know, very strongly at this point in time. So perhaps you could, you know, just comment on what I've said and, and maybe tell people a little bit about the book and, and the author.
0: Uh, yeah. Stapleton, uh, was a PhD in uh, philosophy, uh, uh, got it back in the, uh, um, what, late 1920s. And w- one philosopher who he admired was, uh, the, uh, uh, rationalist philosopher, uh, uh, Baruch Spinoza. And Spinoza, uh, believed that the only way one could get a accurate true picture of anything was to see it through the eyes of the cosmos, the big picture. And so one of the key elements in Stapleton, which he took from Spinoza, was that Stapleton believed the only really accurate way one could look at today or look at the specifics of one's life was in the context of the big picture, the cosmic picture, that if we take too narrow a view as to our uh, reality, then we're at a more primitive level of uh, mentality, of consciousness. And the only way we can really see deeply what all this means, even just the right here and now, is to is to broaden our perspective out and, and uh look at it within, uh, through the eyes of the universe, the entirety of the universe. So Stapleton wrote two uh novels, Last and First Men and Star Maker, in which he, in his imagination, traveled out billions and billions of years into the future. That is, when he thought about The Future Evolution of Humanity in Last and First Men, he chronicled, speculatively of course, the entire future history of humanity running out two billion years into the future. When he wrote Star Maker, he chronicled the future evolution of intelligence in the entirety of the universe, running out 30 billion years into the future. Now, there have been other science fiction writers who have, in different ways, approximated to that kind of big-picture perspective, but nobody to the extent of uh, a Stapleton. uh Bear, a couple, I would say, in some ways come close. Arthur C. Clarke identifies Stapleton as the most influential writer on his own development, and Arthur C. Clarke, in fact, says that Star Maker is the greatest work of imagination ever produced by anybody. Now, we were going to focus on Last and First Men, which he wrote and uh, published in 1931. Star Maker, he published in 37. In Last and First Men he speculates on how humanity over the next 2 billion years will evolve through 18 different distinctive species. But eventually, we will go extinct about 2 billion years in the future, having settled by then on the planet Neptune. Stapleton at that time didn't know that the planet Neptune was a gas giant. He envisioned it as a solid surface, so he did get some things wrong, obviously um but while he's doing this while he takes on this big picture as a philosopher and a psychologist he gets into it with great enthusiasm and uh and uh uh, color and intelligence what is life all about what is the nature of humanity what are the potentials of humanity where could we be heading Acknowledging that there's going to be lots of ups and downs along the way. Where should we go? How should we evolve? And on that point, I want to highlight something uh, critical to Stapleton's view of the big picture. Stapleton saw reality through the eyes of cosmic evolution. Whether we're talking about humanity or the universe as a whole, He saw reality as an evolutionary reality beginning with the formation of the simplest, most primitive uh, patterns and entities and particles and forces in the distant past. And over time, the evolutionary process has been ongoing and things of greater intelligence and greater complexity keep emerging in this ongoing narrative of existence. That is, for Stapleton, the fundamental principle to see everything in terms of is it's an evolutionary process going on. And we today are just part of that overall evolutionary process. We evolve from things that were more primitive than us, and we will evolve into things that are more advanced than us. And this is an inexorable, filled with sound and fury and mayhem and chaos and everything else. It's an inexorable process that runs through the history of the Earth, the history of the solar system, the history of the universe as a whole. And when he thinks about evolution with respect to humans, being a philosopher and a psychologist, although he did not slight how we could evolve technologically, he talks about that a lot, he focuses on how we could evolve mentally, consciously, socially, ethically. That is, he puts his focus on our, on the conscious mind and how it, the human conscious mind, could advance much further than today. That he does the same thing when he talks about intelligence in the universe. How would intelligence in the universe evolve? How would the mind, how could there be the emergence of a mind of the universe? in the far distant future. So he focuses on mental evolution as opposed to gadgetry, although he talks about gadgetry quite a bit along the way. And in fact, for those um, listeners who are familiar with the concept of the Dyson sphere, as one example that uh, is attributed to the astronomer and scientist Freeman Dyson, Freeman Dyson uh, really got that idea and he acknowledges so from Stapleton of, creating an orbiting shell around a sun as a surface on which to live and on which to capture the full energy of a star. And Stapleton had that idea and developed it in his uh, uh, novel Star Maker. So Stapleton did get into speculations on technological development and space travel, but he focused in on uh, thinking about what ways can the conscious mind, human or otherwise, advance evolve in the future so that's a sort of a quick introduction to olaf stapleton and uh, last and first men and then his overall uh, perspective that he took so when we think about today and having a constrictive uh, mindset on our, our reality where we tend to focus more on the immediate here and now there's lots of reasons why that's the case but Speaking uh, as someone from uh, the perspective of of Stapleton, he would say that what's critical is that we move out of that. We get out of that. We need to get out of that. We need to get out of just a a nearer perspective, and we need to start to think ahead, and we need to expand our consciousness. And sooner or later, we will. Uh, But having a limited consciousness to the here and now, uh, I would say... Is the, is an indication of a threatened fear response to reality where we close up and narrow our mind because we feel in a state, uh, we feel more in in a survival mode state. And that indeed happens psychologically when there's threat. Uh, the, the here and now becomes more important and the future and the past become less important.
1: Well, this might be a little bit of a curveball, but I've done quite a lot of reading and writing and thinking around uh jungian ideas uh you know psychoanalytic ideas and yeah. mythical ideas uh in relation to the situation we fi- we found ourselves in with with the pandemic and one reading of it and I've had a couple of guests on to talk about this one reading is that we're kind of being this is an evolutionary push that we're receiving at the moment you know to do some of the the mental developments that you're speaking about. You know, this is a, an indication to us that we, we need to to move forward in some ways. Uh, and the response to that hasn't been particularly encouraging. But nevertheless, it's just, it's one reading that has resonated with me. Um, that is, you know, we're we're being given a message here. We're being, there's an attempt for us to be taught a lesson. Um, and so, uh, yeah, basically it's an evolutionary push. And how we respond to that, well, it remains to be seen. But that's what it yeah, is.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with that interpretation entirely. In fact, to um, uh, what we're doing right now is going to uh, dig down a little bit deeper, both into Stapleton and the whole idea of evolution. And um, the basic point being raised here is that crises and challenges are uh, stimuli that provoke, um, evolution, that evolution will often occur when our existence is threatened. And so if we see that our present mode of existence socially, technologically has flaws in it, those flaws become all the more apparent in a time of crisis and challenge and it can push us, it it can, not necessarily will, but can push us to a higher level of adaptation, a higher level of understanding. And Stapleton believed that too, uh, understanding evolution, that it's the crises, the challenges, the problems that move evolution along. We become too complacent and don't move when there aren't challenges. So, for example, today, in the uh, midst of the... um, um, uh, a pandemic crisis. It seems to me very clear that humanity should, whether it will or not, but should realize a much better, higher level of global cooperation, as opposed to nationalistic competition. Create a more unified, balanced collective consciousness because we face a global problem that we are not handling very well globally and even though we might think that well we're going to take care of our neighborhood take care of our country the situation we're in right now is not a situation that is a problem that's going to go away as long as our country handles it right no it's only going to really get under control when collectively we get it right And to push it a little bit further, you know, the United States and Great Britain and some of the other uh, uh, countries in the West are beginning to get a handle on COVID and bring the numbers down with the vaccine and other things. But while it's going on, the second most populous country in the world is in the middle of hell right now, India with COVID. And even in India's suffering, but the fact that India's suffering is something that we all uh, will suffer because of until we work together. And so crises will force us to work together, excuse me, crises will force us to move forward. And in this case here, the moving forward is going to be working together better and seeing that we have a common set of problems and challenges, in this case here, pandemics, because this won't necessarily be the last one and that we need to collectively come together better in dealing with them, because what hurts people in another part of the world will eventually ripple out and hurt us too.
1: Yeah, now, you mentioned challenges in relation to evolution, and this brings to mind the the concept of uh, punctuated equilibrium in yes. evolution versus the yep. sort of gradualism of, the, of Darwinian evolution. Basically, Punctuated equilibrium—you maybe give a better definition than me—but it's circumstance, environmental circumstances, pushing a species to evolve, or perhaps to you know split into two different species, whatever it happens to be—and uh, then that's interspersed with long periods of stasis. Um, whereas the gradualism of, of Darwin was that you know that things are changing all the time, but at, at an imperceptible, in an imperceptible way, because there were such a long Period of time, and that's something that you see in um, in Staplin, you know, with Last and First Men, Star Maker. Yep. That you know that the environmental circumstances, things change, challenges come up, and the, the, the humanity evolves over quite rapidly in in evolutionary terms as a response to those uh, challenges and crises.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, the idea of punctuated equilibrium, which you pretty well got, is that the The fossil history doesn't show this gradual transformation of species and ecosystems. It shows periods of relatively stable species and ecosystems with intermittent periods of rapid ecological change among many species at the same time. So for a great deal of the time, things will stay relatively the same, not completely, relatively so, and then for relatively short periods of time, there'll be big changes. Now, you can think about this with your own life, too. You'll have periods uh in your life that are relatively stable for one, two, three, four, five years, whatever it may be, and then there'll be rather abrupt transformations. That is, I think punctuated equilibria applies to the evolution of individuals as well, Um and we get used to the periods of stability, of extended stability, and we forget that every so often there's going to be periods of abrupt change. Now we should bring in here something about Stapleton on this, which is that um, Stapleton believed in the possibility of purposeful evolution, and what I mean by that is you could imagine biological evolution as adaptation to a changing environment. But Stapleton believed that given sufficient knowledge, we can achieve the capacity to intentionally modify ourselves, both psychologically and physically, biologically, intentionally so, and redesign ourselves. So, Within the eighteen species that he chronicles in *Last and First Men*, there are quite a few of those species that were actually created by the previous species in a relatively short period of time—a redesign. We do we do redesigns. Uh, so if things, for example, fall apart or if we get a challenge going on, we can do a redesign, or we may decide to do a redesign for some other reason. Um, so part of the punctuated process uh, would involve, with the emergence of uh, a high level of consciousness like us, the capacity to you know uh, recreate ourselves in a new form, physically and psychologically. And that could happen relatively quickly. So that could go on too. Yes. Yeah, so Stapleton definitely understood the notion of uh, abrupt, fast change. He also threw into this uh, uh, the idea that uh, we should also consider regarding today that sometimes an evolutionary jump comes as a consequence of a disaster. That is, instead of um, uh, the uh, uh, present ecosystem or present species being able to adapt and jump forward very quickly, the present species and ecosystem, to certain certain degrees, falls apart, allowing for something new to emerge to take its place. And that's happened throughout history, and that's happened throughout human history in particular. Stapleton believed that, and, and so does HG, H.G. Wells believe that too, uh, that uh, there will be catastrophes. We could have a catastrophe here. And that would definitely kick us into the opportunity for a redesign and a re- and a transformation of humanity.
1: Yeah, Stapleton does speak about things like genetic engineering, geoengineering, yeah. and, and you know planetary terraforming, and things that were yeah. they became staples of science fiction later. But he was speaking about some of these things at a time when you know, the, the technology wasn't there. There was no even it, it was pure imagination. It couldn't even be conceived that it could become a reality. So, yeah, that makes him very ahead of his time and very influential, which, again, is more surprising to me that in all my decades of reading sci-fi that I didn't come across
0: his work. Well, yes, Stapleton isn't a prominent figure in pop culture, such as Jules Verne has been, H.G. Wells has been, Arthur C. Clarke, maybe Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein. Those science fiction writers achieved a certain level of fame in pop culture stapleton if you're in science fiction if you're avid fan of it you're liable to run across him. but once you run across him, and and you you, it hits you that shit this character really had a colossal imagination a very creative imagination and his visions um uh were um very influential on lots of other science fiction writers but his popularity in pop culture isn't there it, you know um, um, it uh he somehow gets lost in the translation um uh like we were uh did, we were talking uh greg about uh last and first men and you had mentioned to me about a month ago that they uh uh, uh Johan Johansson had created a movie based on the novel, and um, uh, fortunately I was able to watch the movie, and um, it would be a challenge to make a relatively accurate movie of uh, either Star Maker or Last and First Men because they're so rich and so expansive and so intricate. How could you put them up on the screen? Although maybe now with increased special effects, and if someone wants to sit for two or three hours, you could do a halfway decent job of it. The the movie Last and First Men, which was produced, is artistic, creative, uh, very um, moody, great ambience, great musical score, great imagery. But a lot of the detail, a lot of the depth of the novel is not in the movie, but it would be a real challenge to get it into a movie because of the richness of uh, uh, Stapleton's imagination uh, and the things he envisions. By Stapleton back in 1930, and people are, of course, familiar with this, Stapleton envisioned that along the saga of humanity, at one point we decide to turn ourselves into giant brains hooked up to technological lines of communication and that we live in virtual realities in these giant brains that's like something you would hear from today but stapleton was writing about that in 1930 and also redesigning ourselves so that we had wings that we could fly about that was another version of humanity that stapleton envisioned or putting a pair of eyes on the back of our heads so we could have omnidirectional vision and that's another of the species in fact stapleton even invents the idea of putting an eye in the top of our head so that we can be continuously in a state of cosmic awareness looking up at the stars all the time so the 18th men the last men in fact in stapleton have five eyes and in fact on top of all that there are 96 relatively distinct sexes that have to come together into a group consciousness to produce an offspring. So there's lots of very fascinating and intricate ideas in Last and First Men which demonstrate uh, uh, the um, uh, uh, the creativity of his imagination. And uh, it would be a challenge, of course, to get that up on a screen.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that occurred to me was with some of the other better-known sci-fi authors that their work had been translated into television and movies, which is where... Yeah. Because these days, you know, most people—how should I put it—the the amount of books being read has kind of like has been in decline. A lot of young people don't read books at all, uh, but right. they'll, they'll consume visual media and also computer games. A lot of sci-fi has uh, been turned have been turned into computer games. But uh, something like Last and First Men or Star Maker are basically unfilmable. So I would say that Johan Johansson's interpretation is more like a response to the novel. Yeah. Than anything else, you know, because that's all you can really do. And I, I'd imagine, I mean, even if you look at it in a really crude way, okay, so we're going to film Last and First Men. We've got 18 iterations of humanity to go through. Um, and for the film, if we, if we spend 10 minutes, 10 minutes on each iteration, how long does that add up to? Straight away, you can see the problem. You know, it was a bit like David Lynch trying to film June which I remember reading Dune and some of the sequels thinking this cannot be translated to the screen but he tried his best and I don't know I can't remember the name of the book but there's a Russian sci-fi author and his one of his books was turned into a movie a few years ago called Hard to Be a God
0: Oh yeah that's the uh uh Stratsky brothers yeah.
1: Now that yes. that is the most, even outside. I mentioned David Lynch. So even out of something outside of something like a Razorhead, hard to be a god is the most challenging cinematic presentation that I've ever sat through. And when I went to see it, some people walked out. So I can only imagine that trying to film uh, Last and First Men or Star Maker would result in something that will be about three or four times. You'd probably have to spend a day watching it, and it would be more challenging than hard to be a god.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, a long time ago, when I I first got into reading uh, uh, science fiction and fantasy, one of my favorite uh, uh, readings was uh, Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, with The Hobbit, of course, thrown in as the fourth book. And I thought, wouldn't it be great, but next to impossible, to ever put this up on the screen? But eventually... It was achieved uh, very well, you know, with uh, the advances in special effects and uh, uh, creating, uh, you know, uh, four. Well, actually, they created six movies out of those four books. Um, uh, uh, Lord of the Rings has more action adventure individual characters than Last and First Men does or Star Maker. Uh, I, could, I could see uh, possibly, possibly something a little richer being done. This isn't to, uh, uh, criticize Johansson's last and first men, but, uh, Johansson leaves out in that, uh, movie, the intricate richness of the saga of humanity through the various species. As we, first of all, our own species pretty much destroying itself out of greed and materialism. And, uh uh, 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 too much of a focus on technology and being too egocentric and narrow-minded. Um, and uh, that in and of itself is an important opening theme. But then we have the Martians invading us along the way in Last and First Men. We have to migrate from the Earth to Venus, uh, and then we have to migrate from Venus to Neptune and uh along the way, there are various challenges and stories great stories to be told about as humanity transforms to what the cinematic version of it would be good so uh Although it would be a challenge, I could see doing something that's a bit more intricate um the in, the intricacy and the richness of last and first men uh the evolutionary saga sort of got lost in the movie. Uh, it focuses primarily on reflections and thoughts of the last men. Uh, but we can get more of that. We could get more of that into a movie. It would be a different kind of movie uh, you know, than the one that was done.
1: That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at LegalizeFreedom.com.
0: LegalizeFreedom.com.